Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 240. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 240 you're listening to. My guest today is Sebastian Visconti, who is a supervising sound editor located in Los Angeles, California. And he has worked on a large variety of television and film projects, including Westworld, which he was nominated for an Emmy. Also has worked on The Flash, one of our favorites in this household. And he's also worked on Minority Report, the television show, Constantine, SEAL Team, The Muppets Most Wanted, The Edge of Seventeen, Bad Moms, and just a ton of others. So we'll include a link to his IMDb entries in the show notes. And Sebastian comes to us as a recommendation from our good friend Brad Wood. Brad, if you remember, was WCA number 95. So I'll include a link in the show notes so you can check that out. So yeah, Sebastian Visconti coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. How much gear do you really need to do your job? Let's talk about it. Or let me talk about it. It's a one-way conversation, I understand. I'm one of the types of people that occasionally will go through the worst-case scenarios in my head just to play it out. I don't know why I do that. You know, I've talked about death quite a bit on the show. But let's talk about fire and theft. Those are fun topics, right? What would you do if if it all burned down what would you do if it was all taken from you and you had to start over your audio gear that's what i'm talking about and i'm looking around the room and i'm thinking to myself well you know a good pair of monitors an interface solid computer and uh, you know as long as i could get access to a good space doesn't have to be huge doesn't have you know my space is relatively small under 200 square feet, easy. And uh, maybe some acoustic treatment, you know? There's some key pieces that I have that I, I really enjoy. Um, my Grace uh, monitor controller is fantastic, but it's the hub for everything that's in this room. But if I didn't have all that stuff, I question whether or not I would need it or not. Because I could get away with just using, you know, an interface. And also my uh, sound devices mix pre. Uh, six that I use for remote interviews. That's a that's a solid piece of gear that I would definitely need to replace. Think about it for yourself. You know, what is important? Maybe you're downsizing and you're trying to make some decisions on what to sell. Ask yourself what is really important in, in your setup. Now, obviously, you know, location sound folks have a solid rig that they rely on, that they take everywhere. Those of us who track probably have some microphones, which I, yeah, I have a ton of microphones. And while my tracking isn't uh, as busy as my mixing is these days, I, I do rely on those mics when I go to sessions. There's just certain mics I always take with me or like to have the ability to take them with me. So it's, it's interesting. I always ask when I'm selling a piece of gear, it's like, well, do, do I really need this anymore? You know, when we get attached to our gear, it's got sentimental value. You, it's tied to a something in your life and you know oh this was my first dat machine yeah well i i keep my dat machine because i think it's worthless to the world 
until somebody comes knocking on my door for a DAT transfer, and then that's, you know. But I don't know if I would go out and buy a DAT machine again for transfers. I'd just refer somebody to somebody else. I don't even think I need my Avid Artist Mix, you know, my control surface. That's not mandatory. I could get by without it if I had to. But, uh, and a good pair of headphones, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Think about it. I'm just raising it as, as a point of uh, question for yourself. What's important? What's not important? What could you get by with? Do you need an eight-channel interface? Or could you get away with a two-channel interface? If we're talking about uh, universal audio and uh, DSP, well, how much DSP do you do you really need? So all, all questions that are running across my, my brain right now. So I thought I'd pose them to you and get you to think about it. So... Either way, uh, protect the gear you have, make sure it's insured, and um, yeah, don't overspend. And make sure you have the right tools for the job. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know, if you don't know them, is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and in a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, 
ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Sebastian Visconti here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Sebastian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. You're from Philadelphia, right? That is correct. Philadelphia. And you came out to Los Angeles in 1989 for your sister's wedding and you never left. Yeah, I came out for her for her wedding. It was going to be a vacation and I didn't go home. Yeah. June 12th, 1989, I was supposed to get on an airplane and fly back and I did not go. Wow. June 12th. <laughs> and you, re- you remember it that clearly. I remember September 6th, 1988 when I came to San Francisco <laughs> and never went back. Yeah. It was hard to leave, so I just didn't do it. So let's get into that for a sec. Why was it hard to leave? What was your impression as a Philadelphia transplant? What did you think of California? What I thought of California was it was just amazing. Philadelphia, let's see, it can have a very narrow view of the world and things around you. I have family members that were born there and never left the tri-state area like they never left Philadelphia, New Jersey, Delaware. And that just to me is is crazy. There's too many things, too much of the world needs to be seen. So when I got out here, it was just wide-eyed. I couldn't believe it. It was great. The weather, of course, was was beautiful and it was just an open place. I, I liked the feeling of the city. Plus, what's not to love about palm trees and sunshine? Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm going to jump around a bit on you here. So just so we can establish the bigger picture, what is it you do now? What is your title and what is your day-to-day like? My title currently is supervising sound editor. Mm -hmm. I also work on some shows as just a sound effects editor, but mostly I'm supervising. So supervising sound editor is my title at the moment. And my day-to-day is cutting sound effects and making sure that... All of the notes that needs to go to dialogue editors and Foley teams. Yeah, all the notes that that need to be transferred out get to who they need to go to. And like this morning, I was working on an episode and there is a piano being played in a scene and there's a bunch of dialogue over this piano. And in order for us to create an M&E at the end of our mix, which is Uh, music and effects. That's so it can go around the world and be overdubbed in different languages. Oh, right. So all of the dialogue will come out of this scene and wrapped up in the dialogue is the piano. And we need to have that piano. So I look through the notes and I look through the AAF and I noticed there was no reference to that. And there's there's no piano in the AAF to replace the piano that's in production. So I sent emails out this morning to producers and the music guy to find out what's going on with that. We have to make sure that before we get to the mix stage on Thursday this week that we have that figured out. So that's my day-to-day. A lot of little details, huh? Lots of little details, yeah. And a lot of people involved just in the audio side of a film. Is that is that accurate? Absolutely. There's the production mixer, the person that's recording everything that will eventually get into my my hands. And hopefully he's doing a great job and he's getting clean stuff without a lot of airplanes and actors hitting their chest where their microphone is and all that good stuff. 
Yes. And then it gets to me and depending, it really depends on the size of the show and how big it is. You know, if it's a television show, the, the post audio teams on the smaller side, but if you're talking about a feature film, there's a list of people, long list of people that do things. Let's go back. Let's get back to 1989 for a bit. You didn't initially start in the world of film. You were more a music-based person. Is that right? That is correct. I came out here really with, I didn't come out here to be a musician. I just was out here. And I had started college for architecture back in Philadelphia. And I had transferred out here once I decided I was going to stay in California. I transferred and I was continuing into architecture. And, but that really wasn't the thing inside of me that made, made my blood turn. It was music. That's what I wanted to do. I, I, I briefly got into music in Philadelphia, playing guitar, playing drums, but I didn't get a chance to have any instruments in the house. We were poor, lived in an apartment, couldn't have anything like that. But I had friends that I would go over their house and sit on their drums for hours and play and then come home. So when I got out here, I had a, a, an opportunity to to join a band and get into get into music, and that's that's what I did as as fast as I was able to do that. It was probably within a year I was playing drums in a band, and once that started, that just took over everything that I everything about me. It's just all I wanted to do was just do music. So unfortunately. I didn't finish school. I stopped going to school and I just went into a rehearsal room and put a metronome on in my headphones and played drums and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And that's how, that's how the music got started. And then I, I played drums for, for years, for years and years in many, many different bands. Up until just a few years ago, I was in at least three bands in Los Angeles at a time. <laughs> and... I started to produce music. We bought a house and I turned, I turned my garage into a recording facility. And that's when I got into producing records and recording local bands. Now, what caused you to build that studio? Were, were you already involved in the audio side of it prior to the building of, of the place at your house? I was. I had... <laughs> I had started a small record label with, with a gentleman by the name of John Maddox, who's a drummer and music producer here in Los Angeles. And we started recording artists. And he had a studio that he was building in his backyard, in his garage. And I just kind of did the same thing. He, he, he went a little further than I, than I did. Mine is, mine is a little bit less of a full-on recording facility in terms of the soundproofing and all of that. Although it, it, it does a really good job of keeping the helicopters out and whatnot. <laughs> so that inspired me to, uh, his studio inspired me to do it here at my place. And that's, that's what I did. I, I started recording bands in here. Crazy. And had you had any experience doing that prior to this? Just with John. Just with John. Just recording, just recording bands in his house. Oh. He had a he had a whole room in his house. It was kind of this elongated addition that was built on at some point, and it was perfect for a little recording studio. And that's where we were doing all the recording was in his house. 
And while we were in there, he started construction on the garage to move it from the interior of the house to the garage. And I just followed his footsteps there. So would you say your band recording experiences, as far as cutting your teeth, did, did the majority of that experience come from your time in your own space? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's where I cut my teeth, engineering, Pro Tools, learning the, the system. I mean, that was the huge learning curve that I had already straightened out by the time I had moved into post-sound was Pro Tools. That's, that's what we use in post-production, knowing that the system was very important. Fill in that gap for me, because I'm maybe I'm getting my, my timing of everything wrong. Did you start recording bands before you started doing post-production work? Oh, yeah. So I was recording bands, all local acts, and surprisingly paying the bills, not putting anything in the bank, but surviving. And that started to tank. It just started to get less and less and less. Mm. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Actually, in the in the middle of music and post-production, I went to Trader Joe's. Oh, you worked at Trader Joe's? I worked at Trader Joe's in Sherman Oaks for just under two years. And that was how I connected the dots in between music and post-production. And while that was going on, I was working on independent movies well, uh, actually, skip back to music took a dip. I went into Trader Joe's as an employee. Now, at that point, I heard the words of a very good friend of mine in my head. His name is Rick Lee Dumb. He's a sound effects editor, and he's been doing it in this town for a very, very long time. And I would go to his house and hang out. And when I would get there, he'd be working on some really cool movie like Let's see, the time that I went there that I actually spoke to him about really getting into this, I think he was working on Rambo, <laughs> or he had just finished Rambo, and he was he was working on, I think he was working on that. And every time I would go to his house, he would say, hey, you'd be really good at doing this stuff. And I just never, I never really listened to that because I was focused on music, and that's what I did. That's That's how I saw myself. I saw myself as a musician and a producer, and I didn't see myself in any way as a post-sound guy. I didn't see the connection in sound. I just didn't see it. Well, finally, when the finances were super low and I'm working at Trader Joe's, I went over to Rickley's house and I said, hey, so you've been saying that I'd be, I'd be good at this for, for a very long time now, and what, what do we do? How do we get this going? So he gave me a a reel of a film that he had finished and he gave me a very small sound effects library and he said he he knew that I was proficient already in pro tools itself and he said go be a sound effects editor go cut this reel and bring it back to me when you think it sounds good not not in a week or not you know in two weeks if it takes a month bring it back in a month when you think it's presentable to me bring it back so i came home and I worked on this reel of a film and I was very detailed. We never discussed what to do editorially. And what I mean by that is, is in, in post sound, there are several different areas of sound. There's, there's the sound effects, mm -hmm. there's sound design, which some, which oftentimes dances with music. 
And then there's there's the Foley, which is whatever the actor touches and does and and also his footsteps. So I proceeded to cut every single thing that I saw. Footsteps, Foley, if the guy grabbed a leaf of a tree, I I would cut a leaf sound, all of the backgrounds, all of the birds and the wind and all of that stuff. And then the sound effects, the truck that drove up and all the people that jumped out of the truck. And I cut everything. I cut everything I saw. I didn't know any better. (laughs) So I bring it back to him and he hits play and he plays it for about a minute and a half and he stops it. And he says, wait a minute. He says, did you, did you cut footsteps and like Foley and all that stuff too? I said, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I cut everything I see on the screen. I cut it all. So he hits it again and we watched the scene and the first words out of his mouth were, that was better than what I cut for the film itself. And so I knew that I was on the right path. I was doing something right. I was making the right choices for sounds. My editorial was good because I had already been doing that for years, cutting music. So from that point, I jumped into finding everything that I could work on. And of course, all of that was free and it was all independent stuff, small, not, not even independent. A lot of it was student films, five minute movies, really, really small stuff. Just to get your feet wet and really start putting in your 10,000 hours, so to speak. Exactly. That's exactly right. And as I'm working on this, I have several friends that do the sound. So I would have them come into my studio and, and, and say, hey, I just finished this, this three-minute student film. Would you watch it for me? And so they would watch it and they would tell me. They would give me their notes. And the notes that I got in those sessions still ring in my head today. And so I just kept working on independent things. And then I finally got a, I got this independent feature. I don't even remember how they found me, but I, 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 it was a whole movie. And it was the first time I did a feature film, independent. I was the only editor. I mixed it, the whole thing. And that movie was the most important thing I've ever worked on because it then screened. And at that screening, there was a gentleman there by the name of Kami Asgar. And Kami Asgar is a supervisor in Hollywood and he has his own company called 424 Post. They do features. Well, actually, they've been doing television as of lately, but they were a feature film company. Mm-hmm. And he did films like Apocalypto and what? He did all of Mel Gibson's films. He was Mel Gibson's sound guy. Wow. So he was there. He watched the movie. And then we all went for tacos after, and we were just talking and chatting, and we hit it off just, you know, personally. And and that was it. Like, it was just, we met, and there was not, nothing was said in terms of, hey, you're going to, I'm going to hire you, or I'm going to call you for this or that. It, it was just tacos and beer, you know? And then I got a phone call a couple weeks later, and it, he had recommended me for a feature that he had to turn down because of the budget. It was it's extremely small. So I did that film and that was, that was like my audition. Doing that movie for him was kind of like a, my audition. And it went well. 
And at, from that point, he just kept hiring me and I just kept working on movies with him. And it got to the point where I think the very first official, the big thing that I worked on with them was the Muppets Most Wanted. And I had to join the union in order to work on that film. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Is there a, any hoops to jump through to join the union? Yes, many, many hoops. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You need to have a certain amount of hours logged in working on independent movies. And because they're independent, the way that you log the hours is you have to have letters written by the director saying, Sebastian was hired for this film. He, he was a sound effects editor. He worked on it from this date to this date. And we were, we were satisfied with his work. Literally, that's all it says. I needed to collect those from every film that I worked on that, that I was able to get a quality amount of hours. I, I couldn't use it for a five-minute independent student film. I couldn't use it for that. I could only use the letters from, from feature films. Wow. So put all that together and went to the union and they looked through all of your stuff and they accepted it. And actually, I think there was, oh yeah, that's right. Now that I'm thinking back, there was a, and it was a majority, I would say even, of the hours that I had worked on was a web series and at the time, they were not accepting web series. So that pushed me back a little bit. I had to wait another year or so before I was able to get the amount of hours that I needed to be able to be accepted into the union. How did that affect the Muppet movie? It didn't affect the Muppet movie. I had to... I'm sorry. You know what? It wasn't the Muppets. It was Last Vegas. Last Vegas. Okay. That's the film that I had to get into the union on. And... It was that time that I had to wait to get more hours that it landed on the Muppet movie where that's when everything came together. It came together that I was able to join the union and get in on the Muppets. Okay. I want to just, I want to stop for a second and go back. There's a few things you've said that I really kind of want to touch on before I forget. And number one, working at Trader Joe's. <laughs> that time yeah. period between meeting with your friend and kind of figuring out what you were going to do ultimately and the drop in business from the studio. Yeah. How did you feel about that? How did you feel about that time period? Like when you were, when you realized, okay, the money's not coming in, I need money coming in. I'm going to go to Trader Joe's. Did you feel defeated? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a great question. I guess I did a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel defeated because I knew that Trader Joe's was, was a bridge. I knew that it was just going to take me from one thing to the next. I didn't know it was going to be post-sound when I actually started working at Trader Joe's. It was soon thereafter that I found out that it was going to be post-sound. So while I was working at Trader Joe's was when I 
was when I really got into the post sound world and I was working on all of these small things. And so I, I had in front of me, I knew where I was going. I knew that if I just stayed on this path and continued to apply myself as I know that I can, that something will happen and I, I will get out of Trader Joe's. So it was almost, yeah, it was almost like it was a little boost for me. Like, hey, get get things moving so you're not here that long. So you made good use of your time. I mean, you were working your shifts, but then when you weren't at Trader Joe's, you were, once you kind of got the, the, we'll call it a life preserver thrown to you by your buddy, you were actually working on small projects and, and trying to figure this all out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I was, I was working on small things and, but- at the same time, remember, I, I, I have, I had friends that I was going to that were in the union and working on major films and they were shepherding me through this process. And so I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Must've been a glorious day when you gave your notice at Trader Joe's. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was great. You know, great day. My youngest son always jokes. He says, when I'm out in the working world as an adult and I have a job that I don't really like, when I quit, I'm going to have a big party at work and I'm going to create a banner that says, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt like that a little bit. I still shop at that Trader Joe's and I can't go in there and get any food without spending an extra 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking to everybody in this store because a lot of the people still work there. Yeah. And I just want to say, audience, there's no shame in working at Trader Joe's. So if you work at Trader Joe's, please do not take this in any derogatory way. But not at all. It's clear in your case, Sebastian, that you had a vision of where you wanted to be. So Trader Joe's in this case was that bridge you speak of. So it was. Yeah. And Trader Joe's defense, they are a great company to work for. They really are. Keep that in mind, audience. You know, I always bring up Starbucks. You could work there part-time and you can get health benefits if that's going to be your bridge. But mm -hmm. I also want to bring up the the gentleman that you were having beer and tacos with. Kami. Kami, yeah. There's there's an interesting name, Kami. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sh I'm, sure he, yeah. I'm sure he got grief as a kid. <laughs> I'm sure. Actually, he's Persian. Oh, is he? Okay, okay. He grew up in Iran and his father... If I recall correctly, his father owned a movie theater in Iran. And I don't know the story. I don't know why they ended up coming to the United States, but they ended up coming to the United States and he and Kami ended up in sound. Thank God. Thank you, Kami. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who's from Iran and I assume, and he came here after the Islamic revolution in, in the seventies. So I assume that yeah. maybe, it's a, maybe it's a similar thing. I'll bet you it is. But the beer and yeah. tacos thing, man, there's a little bit of a lesson there. Just doing your best work. It shows. Kami sees it on the screen and you go and I've mentioned the art of the hang and, you know, just going and hanging with people and being yourself and being not an aggressive, hey, look at look at me. Look what I can do. Can I can I work for you? Mm -hmm. You know, he probably thought this guy's pretty cool. Hmm. I could recommend him. Yeah, that is true. The hang is very important. And as a matter of fact, I specifically remember almost not going to the screening and not for any reason except for laziness. I didn't have anything to do. There wasn't a date or something. It was just, I was just lazy. And I'm like, I don't really feel like going. You know what? Get up and go. You should go. You need to go. Just go. 
and I went. And since then, I never miss an opportunity now to go out and mingle and be around the industry. If there is an invitation, I take it. And I don't let laziness get in the way any longer. Because had I let that happen, had I let laziness win that day, I would not have met Kami that day. And who knows what what would have happened or how much longer it would have taken for me to get to where I am at this point. I, I don't know. Who knows? But certainly, you need to get out and mingle and just be yourself. And, and that's very important because in my world, you're spending a lot of time on stages with people for you're on a stage for eight hours a day, sometimes longer. And not only do they want to have someone that, you know, they're, they're good at what they do, of course, but they want to have someone that they can actually sit on a stage with for eight hours. <laughs> and when you say a stage, you mean a sound stage when we're, when I'm, you're a, a mixed stage, a yeah. mixing stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A sound stage. Exactly. Or could be uh, in, in my little room here. If I'm working on a, a movie, I could be in this room with clients for, for a month in this tiny little, studio which you know it's not very big and i and i do want to talk about that at, at some point but i i do want to kind of jump really quick on what you're saying about just being good at what you do but also being able to hang with people and yeah. you, you talk about mingling and stuff like that i'm not an introvert but my wife is so how do you think introverts can handle those environments hmm that's a good question because, you know, there are many introverts in our business <laughs> as well. <laughs> I know many guys that would, that really just enjoy being in their own world and not having to kind of deal with people so much. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're an introvert and you get into post sound and you get into post editing, sound editing, you can work just fine in your own world. And you don't necessarily have to get out there too much as long as you're doing very good work that when it gets to the to the mix stage, they're not needing to call you for a fixes or you've missed this effect and you're missing things. As long as you provide good material, the introvert will, will work just fine in their, in their own little uh, editing bay. And I will say, even as an extrovert, sometimes I go to events or parties or hangouts or whatever. And at some point I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. I've, you know, I've, <laughs> exactly. I just sure. want to go home now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I will say this. You do need to be a bit of an extrovert to be on the stage. Mm. The sound supervisor is the person that is the liaison between the production and the mixer and he needs to be able to communicate with all these people and they need to be able to sit in a room with him for several hours and have everything be fine. Whereas the sound editor, like I said, he could be a little bit more of an introvert. That's just fine. I know a few of the introverts that, <laughs> that they seriously, they, they just would prefer to, to not have to deal with anyone and they just be in their world and they do very good work and everybody loves them. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app 
And I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20 and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. And with so many people involved in the making of a film, you, you really learn how to handle all the various personalities. Absolutely. You do need to handle personalities on the stage and, and there are many of them, of course. The one thing I think that is most important, and if, if you can remember this as, as the goal for, for everything that you're doing on that stage, and that is make sure the director's happy. And the director's happiness is, is the goal. It's not, you can't get attached to sounds that you've put in a show, or if you've cut something that you really like the way it feels, but the director's like, no, I don't like that. Can we see, can we use what was in the temp? And you're like, oh, I spent an hour on that. You know, <laughs> you got to let all of that go. All that has to just go away. And it really is making making the director and the producers happy. If you can if you can keep that in mind, I find that that my decisions throughout the day just all steer the ship towards the same place. And no matter what kind of personality the, the director is, you defer to the director at all all cost. Absolutely. If he's a real son of a bitch in there yeah. and he's yelling at everybody and angry, then that's the way it is. You have to deal with that and you have to give him everything he's looking for. But most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, people are very nice on the stage and the directors know what they want. And I haven't had many experiences with people blowing up on the stage, although I have had them. Thank God they're few and far between. Yeah. Now I want to ask you a little bit about working from home. My understanding or just my perception is that all of this usually takes place at some big studio, but here you are in your home studio doing the work that you do for films. So it's acceptable to work at home, obviously. It has in the, in the last, I don't know how many years, Yes, it has. There have been many, many people working from their own home facility. There's a few reasons for it. One of them is just just sheer space. You know, like there isn't always an available editing bay for people on the lots. It's easier for, obviously, for the editor. He doesn't have to get in his car. He doesn't have to deal with L.A. traffic. You can you can get more done. Yeah. I mean that honestly, I can actually get more editing done if I don't get in my car and drive somewhere. I get more done than if I can stay right here in my own world. And it's all about a secure upload and download. That's what is most important. If there is not a secure upload and download provided by the studio, then I could probably still edit here, but I'd have to physically take my work 
to the lot, drop it off as opposed to uploading it via the internet. Interesting. So most studios obviously will provide, is it still FTP or is there some other thing that people do these days? How is it done? Aspera is, is what I'm using currently for Warner brothers. They use Aspera, which is a file sharing. Okay. And there's also the flash. I work on the flash as well. And that is a specific file sharing website Mm. that's just for that television show. And they're very strict. They're very strict how you log in, log out. and Do you sign NDA forms for the work that you do? No, I do not. Okay. Interesting. Or I haven't yet had to sign one. Okay. And when you're working at home, so you're, you're actually, you're creating effects at home. Is that correct? Or is that, or is that not part of your job at home? Yeah, no, I am I am cutting sound effects from a library okay. at home. Yeah. And are they a combination of stock libraries mixed with your own effects that you capture? They are a combination of exactly that. Stock libraries, commercial libraries, shared libraries between sound effects editor and my own stuff. Yeah. Am I to understand it's is it sound miner that most people use? That's correct. Yeah. Fantastic program. Okay. Just, just fantastic. When you're creating your own sound effects, like, do you have a, a method or, or, or a time set aside to do that? Do you like just do it randomly or do you like say, oh, I'm working on the flash. I need this particular sound. I'm going to go create that. Well, for the flash specifically, I am one of two sound effects editors on that show. You could call me the support sound effects editor. I cut the ambiences. Okay. So all of the backgrounds, all the scenes that they're in, the cityscapes and that sort of thing. What I did cut this season, sometimes they'll come to me if it's a huge episode. I believe it was 510 of the season of The Flash this past season. It was a massive episode. So there was a couple Lamborghini chase scenes, police chasing Lamborghini, and they asked if I would cut those. And I said, of course, you know, you always say yes you to your, say yes, of, right. your supervisor, make sure you give good work. And so occasionally I do step out of the ambience, out of the backgrounds and cut some hard sound effects for that show. Now, specifically that ca- cutting car chases, those are just coming right from a library. Those are coming right out of, right out of a library, commercial library, type in Lamborghini, and you get all the different sounds that you have in there, and then you cut the Lamborghini through it. In terms of creating sounds, that's going to happen in two different areas. One, sound effects-wise, recording Foley. This was a recording studio, and I have microphones everywhere. And so sometimes I will record things just right in this room as sweeteners to sound effects that I've cut from the library. So it's like a little combination of something from the library plus something I've recorded. And then from there, you kind of get into sound design, Mm. where sound design tones and drone sounds, things like that, where they cross with music. And when that happens, you kind of have to make sure that you're either cutting to final music, which oftentimes you're not. So you try to get a sense from the sound effects designer or from the sound designer, what he might be doing. So the things that you cut 
and the things that he records musically don't clash mm. on the stage. Because if they do clash, the sound design is the first thing that's going to go away. And they'll the music is what will take us through that. Unless they have time, unless they're like, hey, Sebastian, we need you to redo this. Here's the final music. Could you cut something that's that fits with the music? How does it work with, you're in the union now, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And we had sound editor Clint Bennett on a couple episodes ago. And he was talking to me about the benefits of the union and that health benefits and, and such. Mm -hmm. So when you bill, do you bill as an independent contractor or do you bill through the union? How, how does that work? That's a good question. It depends on what the show is. Like for example, at Warner brothers, everything is through the union. Everything I work on, it's all union, everything, but I, also get 1099 throughout the year. I will work on independent movies that have somewhat of a budget. Like I just did a feature last year called 30 Miles from Nowhere. That was an independent film. I believe the whole budget was 17,000. Mm -hmm. So it's very small. And that I will invoice them and they'll send me a check and it's just 1099. So that will not be through the union. Mm, okay. And what the 1099s usually allow me to do is to write off things throughout the year because I spend money. I just spent 2000 on a refurbished Macintosh tower that I just purchased. Just as, a, as an example, that with software throughout the year, I could spend up to five grand for the studio. So in order to write things off, I can't write things off to a W-2. Oh, right. Because like what you do, say, for The Flash or Westworld is billed through the union to the studio. Correct. That's W-2 income. But then independent stuff is 1099. And then I have to pay taxes on that at the end of the year. But that allows me to write off things in the studio. Your W-2 income obviously has taxes taken out. That's why it's W-2 income. Correct. Okay. The 1099 does not. And all of this has changed. Like, this is all new this year. As a matter of fact, Rickley, the gentleman that got me into this business, that gave me that sound effects library, he was unable to write anything off last year because it was a year that he did not get an independent job. He was just W-2'd throughout the year. So he didn't pick up that side gig and get a 1099. So he was not able to write any of his expenses off throughout the year with this new tax laws that were applied. That's right. That's right. So that that's had a drastic effect on a lot of things. Yeah. It was also the first year that I had to pay taxes in 10 years. Oh, okay. I always get money back. I've always gotten money back. Okay. And this is the first, first year in 10 years that I had to write a check to the IRS. Does the union frown upon you doing independent gigs? They do not. Sound editors and people in sound are able to work throughout the year on non-union work, and it does not affect your status in the union at all, which is not the same for actors. Actors, like actors are not allowed to work on non-union stuff. That I know. Huh. Okay. So survival, it seems, is not really an issue for you. Is Am I correct? I assume that, you know, once you, once you work on a series of Westworld and Flash and stuff like that, other work is continually coming in. It has been, thank God. 
yes, survival has not been an, an issue. And I, I think I heard it when on Brad's interview that I, I was listening to, Brad Wood, my friend, oh, yeah, yeah. That recommended me to you. You're only as good as your last production, I think, or something, as he said it. And it's similar in, in my world, too. Like, you need to do good work if you turn over stuff that's not good and they're having to fix it on the stage, which costs time and money and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to, they're not going to hire you again. Yeah. You need to do good stuff to continue working. And word gets around, doesn't it? It does. It's a very small community. The sound community is actually, it's not big. It's not a big, not a big world. Most of these guys all know each other and I'm, I'm new. Like this is something we didn't even talk about, which is, I think, pretty applicable to your your podcast here, which is I broke into sound, post-sound at the age of 40. Oh. So that's super uncommon. Most people get into this in their 20s. They got into it. And by the time they're my age, they actually, they're 20 years in, into their union and their everything. And I broke in at 40. And I've heard from several people that that just is not doesn't happen. It's very uncommon. So I, I feel fortunate in that respect. I feel like I just at the last minute made that decision to to move into this world. And because I was so determined and so focused, and I just like, I wouldn't take no for an answer almost, that I just excelled at a rapid rate. And I'm eight years in, and I feel very lucky. Well, and I wonder, and I brought this up with others who have <clears throat> had late starts. Sarah Carter comes to mind. She was on the show and she got into doing records at, at a later time and learning audio at a later time and wound up at the BBC. And so I wonder if age and maturity and life experience, when you bring that to the table in a particular industry, you can put aside a lot of the, the concerns and really uh, navigate it a little quicker than a younger person would. I agree with that. Absolutely. I was... Yeah, I think I think that's very very true. I mean, like I said, I was hyper focused, mm. and that you know that I'm I know I wasn't hyper focused in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't have been as hyper focused as I was in my late thirties getting into this. And by the time I got into the union, I was forty. So it was I started in like thirty eight, thirty seven, I think somewhere in there when I was working at Traders and in that little in between world, <clears throat> starting to do the the independent stuff. Now that you're doing this, you've been in it for a while, does that mean you've shut the door to doing work with bands? You know, it's funny you ask, you're asking just such great questions. No, it, it, it isn't. And I only say no, because as of two weeks ago, I just started meetings with a band called The Middle Class, who I recorded a couple of their albums for 10 years ago. And these guys want to do it again. So I had the band in here, the studio last week, and we were discussing what we need to do in order to get to the point of hit and record on Pro Tools over here. So I'm not pursuing it. I'm not looking for recording. Okay. But if somebody that I have worked with comes up to me and says, I want to do something, I'm, I'm all in. I, I, I've... I've only gotten rid of a little bit of my music gear. I kept most of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more 1099 income. Yes, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. Yeah. After having been involved in in films for the time that you have, 
as short as it is, as you said. Yeah. Does it change how you look at recording music? In other words, are there any things that you would do differently when it comes to music now that you've been involved in film? Maybe just a little bit with microphone placement Mm. or choice, but certainly with EQing. I mean, EQing, I didn't really get into EQing voice until movies when, you know, the dialogue. What I know now from EQing dialogue, I could absolutely apply to vocals that I've I, I haven't done in the past. Mm. Just learning, just learning things, sweeping frequencies and getting rid of stuff. Sebastian, thanks so much for being on the show. This is fascinating. The world of film to me as an audio pro is still there's so many questions I have and so many areas that I just don't understand. So it's great to talk to you and and great to learn more from someone who's been in it for a while. And I love your story. I love how you've gone through these different changes and worked at Trader Joe's in the process and have come out on the other side, working on some great, great stuff and some successful stuff at that. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being on the podcast and you asked really good questions. You've, you've obviously done this before. <laughs> I've done this a couple times. It's like my third time. I will put a link in the show notes. Would it be wise to include your IMDB entries in there? Absolutely. Okay. And yeah. do you have a separate website as well or, or not? You know, there is a website. I do have a website. It's called vavstudios.com. It's V-A-V-V, Victor Alpha, Victor, Victor Studios. And I don't really use it that much. It was originally started when I was doing the music stuff. And so over the years, it's kind of really shed a lot of what it was. And now it's just like a, hey, I'm here. I think there's a bio on there. Is it a good way to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So, Absolutely. So listeners, if you have an independent film, Sebastian might consider working on it. And uh, we'll include that in the show notes as well. So be sure. Absolutely. To yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Great to meet you. I look forward to meeting you in person in the future and great stuff. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much. It was great to be on your show. All right. Well, take care. Thank you. Sebastian Visconti here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me today. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Want to give a shout out to all of those that worked on today's show, and that includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme music, and Mr. Chuck Smith for his wonderful voice. Head on over to workingclassaudio.com, sign up on our email list to stay on top of what we have going on, and until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear. 
including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. 